Now, now you have me thinking. Maybe, maybe we need to write some hacker fantasy books where it's you're just like Dude. late at night, just sitting by the fire. Yeah. You're just reading through. <laughs> you're just fantasizing about awesome bugs, and they're all hypothetical scenarios that just get they just make you really like FOMO. <laughs> a post message knocked on the door. Who could it be? <laughs> no, it was yeah. an unauthenticated bypass. <gasps> Yo, yo, what's up, my dude? How's it going? Pretty good, man. We have a ton of news articles to talk about this week that I am mega hype about. Yeah, this is. I don't. I don't know. Like, it feels like all of a sudden in the last few weeks, there's been a ton of really interesting articles about this type of stuff. So, it feels like yeah. a really good opportunity to make an episode about it. It just ebbs and flows, man. Like, I feel like for a couple of weeks, there were no write-ups that were interesting at all around. And then, like, I, I want to say it was a Saturday, too. I open up my Twitter, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, the bookmark list for the pod got really long that day. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I, I, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about maybe some of the reasons why, because I, I have some ideas as to, as to why that might be happening. But, uh, but yeah. yeah, this is... Uh, it's a really good week. We got a ton of really cool stuff to talk about. Sweet. So, um, you know what? Let me go ahead and start off with the first one since I've got a few more than you. Um, okay. <clears throat> so this one uh, was brought to my attention by none other than Shubs, Infosec AU, Shabam himself, the legend. Yeah. Um, definitely go follow him on Twitter uh, if you're not already. Um, this was a write-up by a company called LTAM. Um, I, I always try to pronounce these things on stream and, uh, you know, saying these <laughs> things out loud, it's crazy. <laughs> but I think, I think this was a really good um, example, uh, and we'll link it down. It's called Pwn Assistant, uh, Controlling Homes via a Home Assistant RCE. Um, I think this is a really good example of, uh, one, some of the stuff we're about to talk about today, which is uh, source code analysis. Um, and also just sort of attack vector mentality and like the way that they approach this code base is really good. And the write-up here has a lot of really good information about how they approach the code base. So um, and we'll talk about this a little bit more as we get into the topic, but um, you, you'll see that they follow the same flow that I, I talked about even back in my, um, my talk that I did on the Grafana SSRF years ago. Um, which is essentially, you know, when you're approaching a code base, you know, you want to decide whether you're open to finding unauthenticated bug or authenticated bugs or unauthenticated bugs. Um, and, you know, and, and you got to make a decision based off of that, because if you're only going to be looking at unauthenticated bugs, um, then, you know, you really need to get laser focused on where the authentication is and, you know, figure out a way around that or, or figure out, work within the parameters of the things that are intentionally scoped to unauthenticated, which is what the attackers do um, in this specific post. They're able to get RCE by essentially pivoting a reverse proxy um, and path traversing back up and hitting um, endpoints that are supposed to be auth uh, past authentication, um, but through a, a, uh, an endpoint that has authentication set to false. So, Another classic example of uh, path traversal 
destroying a target here. It's really funny that this bug, because this bug is in Home Assistant. I don't know if you realize, but this is the this is like that home automation software that I use that I was. Oh you no about. way! Yeah, is it really? Is yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so when I saw this, I was like, oh, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, it, it looks like they published this like um, a couple of months like after you know it was fixed so yeah i'm, I'm looking definitely for already the patch right now and okay I, nice. and mine is already like behind zero tier which is another thing that we talked about so yeah. I, it's not even exposed to the public internet but super super interesting vulnerability it makes me wonder like what else is in there because i honestly haven't i've never looked at like you know the code base of it myself um but i can imagine yeah. that there's a lot of room for error um, yeah for sure in those types and of systems and it was saying um i was reading through this uh, let's see if i can find uh, it's under the section called find finding interesting integrations mm. it says there are around 150 internal quality integrations including yeah. the http integration um and so those are uh, a bunch of integrations that could be leading to attack vectors there and i think they also say a lot of those were http later down uh, and enabled by default um yeah later down in the article so definitely something to keep your eye on i did that's funny though i i i love that i uh that i picked this one for the pod and that's actually <laughs> on uh, your, yeah. <laughs> your home setup do you i mean does it it's got auto patching on or do you manually patch it or what it's it sends me a notification but it's you just click a button to update and it does all of okay. it on its own so it's it's like pretty much automatic i'm sure you could probably set it to automatically update the main risk being mm -hmm. that like it might break some of your stuff if it does sure. so that's just like one thing to to keep in mind but i think systems like this where there's a lot of like trust um sort of like built into it where like you're yeah. kind of assuming like that you're already like at a privileged standpoint if you're Context, doing stuff yeah. on here then it's it's kind of like a difficult scenario to to like analyze whether or not this is something you should be worried about or not but um mm. It's easy enough for this. You just update the version. So yeah. super, super it de cool blog. definitely adds another layer of, of importance to having good network segmentation in your, even in your home setup. So when your guests are coming over or, you know, you're giving your contractor access to your, you know, giving anybody access because at the end of the day, their device could be pwned as well. So right. um, giving them access to your home network, you're going to want to put that on a guest, on a guest division. Yeah, or of the a separate network, VLAN or just, something. Yeah. yeah, a separate VLAN for sure. So, all right, cool. Um, definitely check out that one. We'll link it in the uh, in the description of the episode, um, or you could just go get it from Shubs's Twitter. Uh, that's where I got it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the next one that I that I want to talk about, um, and these are all along, you know, the theme of basically source code analysis because that's today's mm -hmm. topic. Um, yeah. This is a, a blog. I think we may have talked about it last week or the week before or something. It, it was uh, from Andre Zurex ACB, um, and his company called Ethihack. Um, they are, you know, an automated security company that he uh, he mm -hmm. started. Um, they're they're doing a lot of really cool cool research. Um, and this most recent post that they made, it's talking about this Git, uh, basically a configuration injection. It was a bug within how Git Shh. is doing its configuration parsing. Um, I love a good it, I love a good configuration injection, man. Yeah, that's, and leave it to Andre <laughs> of all the people to find a bug in Git core. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so that's great. Yeah, this is a really cool bug. It's very very similar to something that we were working on for this last live hacking event. Oh my gosh! Look at that. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Dang. Su super crazy. Uh, so basically, the the gist of this is that the Git when it's parsing through like a Git config file. Um, it will parse the different sections according to, you know, different characters. So it'll check, does it start with like an open bracket that would signify that it's a section, that type of stuff. 
Um, but what Andre realized is that as it's reading through this, it reads 10, 24 bytes at a time. Um, and basically, like, it, there's not a buffer overflow there because it's, like, checking how much it's reading. Mm-hmm. However, the way that it's parsing it leads to other vulnerabilities. So essentially, you can create a line that's over 1024 characters. When it reads the 1024, it gets halfway through that line, very similar to the bug that we exploited. Dang, this and is then- <laughs> very similar to the, the bug that we just exploited. Yeah, and then it starts again like halfway through that line after 1024 characters and reads the rest of it, which then lets you basically create like a, a bogus section within there that adds it ah. in. Um, and so through sections you can have it run different commands and all that kind of stuff so you basically overwrite like the core section and have it run a command when you do like a git submodule update or something so um it's a really really cool bug um it's very straightforward simple blog post uh, i'd highly recommend going in reading it and checking it out and uh it it's again it's one of those situations where i feel like uh I should I should be looking at this, you know, yeah. like uh, why Dude, haven't I been looking at this? I love how Andre makes it so simple too. Like uh, yeah. he literally just like this this blog post is not even a page long of text. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you, like, you get like the maximum know, amount of FOMO for not having found yeah, this yourself. Th- this man could fit this in like a Twitter thread for sure. <laughs> um, and so yeah, that's that's amazing. And and I think we do see this is a really interesting trick. This whole concept of like overflowing, not not necessarily overflowing, but um, ha- dicing up the lines in a configuration file. Um, we just did this with a separate service um, and Git was also vulnerable to it. So that's at least two in the past couple weeks that have yeah. been vulnerable to this sort of thing. So anytime you're you're looking at um, configuration file injection or anything with a configuration file that's being sucked up into a different context, this could definitely be a cool trick to uh, keep in your hat. Um, yeah, dude, yeah. I love stuff like this. This is the stuff that gets my blood pumping because it's yeah. like now I've got now, from now on for the rest of my life, whenever I come to these sort of situations, I'm going to have that trick in my pocket and I know it's going to work again, which is yeah. clutch. The, the config file parsing stuff. I, I feel like we're, we're, we're very like gradually getting out of the phase of like buffer overflows, like yeah. use after free. That stuff still exists. Like, don't get me wrong, but I think it's now transitioning a little bit more into those things are so commonplace that they're not happening as frequently anymore. And instead you're getting to these other types of bugs, which are like, they're parsing it safely, but they're parsing it wrong. Right. So like there's no buffer overflow, but they're not expecting, like they were too focused on one thing to like recognize the other. So, you know, and and it doesn't always result in RCE, you know, in the scenarios that Joel and I have been working on lately with configuration file injection, which was uh, a running theme in the bugs that we found at a, at, uh, a certain live hacking event that happened lately. Um, there, you know, there you're limited to the application context, like you said, because it's not like a, a super duper low level vulnerability where you're like, okay, let me just you know override this pointer and jump to my code, right? It's it's more of a like, okay, now I am able to inject into this context that I shouldn't be able to inject to. How can I use this application to to break the uh, you know authorization scheme and and affect you know things outside the current scope? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think I think that's definitely something to to keep an eye out for. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's almost like the majority of the bug becomes like figuring out how to work within this like Absolutely. weird environment, right? So, like for our case, like we we had to figure out like, oh, you can you know enter this directive in the config file multiple times, and then mm-hmm. the second one will overwrite the first one. And it looks yeah. like Andre had a very similar type of discovery here, which is that like if you put the core section in your git config twice as a result of the exploit 
the second one overwrites the first one and it does the second yeah. one's action. So I think a lot of the challenge around this, yeah, you can you can probably find this pretty easily, but then the challenge is how do I use whatever's available within the config file, whatever's available within this service or whatever that I'm that I'm hacking to get RCE or get an LFI or whatever, yeah. like, yeah. A, a classic a classic case of this that I'll just do a little self-promotion here. Now, I'll do a little Sam promotion. This is a Sam Herb <laughs> talk. I come in there for a couple minutes, but this is largely Sam Herb just doing the thing he rocks at, which is looking at code and finding bones. Um, we did a talk at DEF CON uh, last year called Crossing the Chasm, uh, K-A-S-M, and that's another really fun story of a configuration file injection that resulted in RCE, but not directly because you cannot get RCE very easily from Nginx configuration file injection, which we learned uh, very well. Which is surprising because you would expect yeah. that, like, of all the things that can probably like run a script automatically yeah, or something Seriously? like Nginx, yeah. like yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and there are some situations where you can, but our specific context, which I think I could see it being a context where. Um, you know, configuration injection happens pretty regularly. We couldn't. So definitely check that out. Check that out for Sam Herb. And uh, uh, yeah. Yo, we'll um, link that uh, down below. Yeah, for sure. All right. Let's see. What do we got next? Um, you want to talk about uh, Jubobs? Yeah. Okay. Dude, let me just say, Jubobs is the man. We, yeah, we, we, we have, have talked, talked about, about them before, but they're, they're killer hacker. Yeah. Always killing it. Always creating awesome bugs. And this is just another example. Rocking it. Um, so literally go turn on tweet notifications. I have tweet notifications on for very few people. This guy's one of them. Um, yep. So definitely, definitely check uh, them out on Twitter. And also check out this link that we'll put in the description called A Smorgasbord of a Bug Chain. And man, is that an accurate title? <laughs> because he puts together a post message bug, a, a misconfigured JSON P endpoint, WAF bypass, DOM XSS, cores, and CSERF to pwn an application. And this is the stuff that just makes me so happy, dude. Like this, this shows, this is the stuff that I'm trying to talk to my mentees about where it's like, it's not the stuff that you're going to find in the textbook, in, in the tutorial, or on the YouTube video. This is what happens when you have a more comprehensive understanding of these, uh, these, the ways that websites interact together. And this is something, oh man, <laughs> here we go. Go off, go ahead, pop off. <laughs> I'm, I'm going uh, listen, off, man. I was going to hold myself back here too, but now, now you're getting me fired up. So, so dude, dude, it's, it's, it's thing, man. Like a lot of the education out there for, for bug bound and, and it has made very large leaps and strides over the past couple of years, right? Um, uh, since we started bug bounty even, you know, it, it's great. But I will say a lot of it is focused on how to get the bounty, a very specific, um, you know, how to find this specific vulnerability in this specific context. And I think there's less talk about, wow, um, this is a restriction that's normally present in the browser. If this restriction breaks down in some sort of way, if it degrades, or if there's a, a hole in it here and there, here's what that means, you know? And here's what that means for the situation. And I think this write-up, we can't go through all the details because it's a super long write-up in it because it's a mega complex bug. But you'll see how his attack flow changes. He says, okay, you know, I want to find a CSERF. Okay, well, how can I get the CSERF token? Well, there's a permissive cores situation. And okay, so maybe I can use that. And then he finds like, uh, looks at the out of scope areas to find something that could interact with the main asset over through cores. And then he finds a post message bug and then he bypasses some stuff. And then he finds a JSONP endpoint and breaks the, you know, and it's just, it's just an amazing tale that, I mean, like if there was a, 
you know, almost like a novel version. If there was, if there was hacking fantasy for me, this is what it would be. Like, <laughs> I just, I don't know, man. I love it. So now, shout now out to thinking, Maybe we need to write some hacker fantasy books where it's, you're just like Dude. late at night, just sitting by the fire. Yeah. You're just reading through. <laughs> you're just fantasizing about awesome bugs and they're all hypothetical scenarios and that just get, you they just make you really like FOMO. <laughs> a post message knocked on the door. Who could it be? <laughs> No, it was an yeah. un- unauthenticated bypass. <laughs> <gasps> no. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, if that wasn't enough for you to just go read the freaking write up, um, something's wrong with you. So, uh, definitely go check that out. And then also, I will shout out this as well because he tweeted afterwards. Um, let me pull it up actually right here. He tweeted afterwards. He's like, man, everyone really loved that article. I'm so glad. But also, you should check out this other article that I wrote. Um, so let me pull it up right here. Fearless Cores, um, which is uh, another article written by him. Um, and so definitely go check that out and and give some of his other work some love too, um, even if it's not a direct Vuln write-up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Super right. awesome. Let's see what we got next here. Um, cool. Uh, yeah, no, there's, um, there's a couple post there's this uh this one from Ankur sandara about cookie bugs um oh okay yeah dude i freaking love this one you want to take this one or should i take this one go ahead go ahead okay all right cool yeah and then there's this other other one uh for the james kettle the, or no the one the, after the, that the Carlson. okay yeah, yeah that that one's a really good one too um but I'll, I'll i'll talk about this one first so man see this is mm, mm, okay so this is another awesome awesome piece of of writing of research done uh by this guy Ankur Sundara I I don't know this researcher but I have a very high amount of respect for them now because of this this post and this post is a great example of like the stuff that makes me really excited from research perspective it's not necessarily like here is this great new CVE that I've already released and patched and you know look at this cool bug that I found no this is literally one of his sections is some interesting browser behavior yeah yeah and it's this just, is like the evolution of like an xss cheat sheet you know what i mean yeah and it just it makes my my pulse just go through the roof man because it's like you know this is the weird shit that you need to know about to to be to find crazy bugs you got an and i didn't even know about a lot of this stuff so some of the cool things I'll, I'll shout out in here is they do some research on subdomains and superdomains. They do some research on underscore, underscore host and underscore, underscore secure prefixed cookies, which I've seen around and have just been too lazy to look into. Those actually have a meeting and uh, have some, some implementation in the browser, which means the name of a cookie that you, that you set can determine some of its attributes, right? Which is yeah. like, what? That's that's crazy. Yeah, and and it's also like, where does this fall apart in terms of like mm-hmm. Chrome versus Firefox versus Safari, yeah. like all that kind of like, is this browser specific? Like, where is the is standardized? If so, like where, right? Like re- yeah. reading through the RFCs and that kind of stuff. So I think it's really awesome that like, um, what there there was another example I was thinking about. Um, there was a blog post we talked about early on in in the podcast that was basically going through like all the different ways to get I think it was to like get iframes or something in a page, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let yeah. me see if I can find that. Very yeah, similar yeah. type of like research where this is basically it's not so much like it's like what you talked about. It's not like it's not news security research per se. It's not like a CBE or anything. It's yeah. just documenting 
somewhere cool shit like how this stuff works that could probably be used later for some like really epic bugs you know yeah i just i I love this type of research and you're absolutely right like that is and i I found the article as well i'm gonna put that article in our in our description as well this time because you're absolutely right like what a yeah why can't i why can't i click on this yeah i think a lot of hunters get really like um uneasy about publishing this kind of stuff because it's almost like you're talking about the secret sauce and like the the secret types of like knowledge based stuff that you have but i think it's really important to publish this kind of information because so many times as a researcher i've been exploiting a bug and i'm trying to find this type of information about what i'm hacking on i'm trying to Mm -hmm. find the weird behaviors i'm trying to find like oh we're like what we just talked about what's like a weird config entry that does something unexpected how can i run a shell script through a through a config file right like mm-hmm. those types of like weird behaviors or weird things to know about often you have to find them in like much more convoluted ways where you, yeah. you have to search almost like as a developer like how do i do this thing or and it and it it primes the brain too you know like like when you release research like this even though it's not like groundbreaking rce you know it lets me realize hey ah I, I, I can influence, uh, you know, a flag on a cookie using the name and I can Im- influence like the browser via cookie ordering. Like this is another thing they talk about. They do research on cookie ordering here and yeah. what happens if you sent an, uh, if you set an uh, empty cookie. Like this is so cool. There's no name for this cookie and the browser thinks it's just one cookie. But when it gets sent, you can smuggle in other cookies. Right. And it's like, what? Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, it, it's th- this sort of thing is just so valuable. So big shout out to this guy. Um, definitely read through the whole thing. There's a way of breaking document.cookie in, in Chrome, which is just super cool. There's cookie smuggling, cookie injection, like such so much good stuff here. Yeah, yeah. And he talks about like the RFCs and like ties it mm-hmm. all back to like the original types of like documentation, like how this stuff is supposed to be parsed. And like, uh, I think he even mentioned that there's like a, a, like basically a hard-coded bug within the rfc um mm-hmm. that like the jetty maintainer maintainer has like talked about like publicly so there's just a, a ton of really interesting information and knowledge to be had from this article so go give it a read um give it mm. a bookmark and yeah. you know I, i'm sure you're gonna end up using these things later solid okay i've got two follow-up little things on that and then you can talk about carlson's thing cool um so th- there's a comment under this twitter uh, under this tweet that says, uh, nice post. I have also found maybe a zero day in PHP, which will allow you to bypass this um, because of the use of underscores. So remember, there's that weird thing in PHP where like if you send uh, a dot, it gets converted to an underscore and, and or like vice versa. And so that's another piece is like anytime you see these, uh, these underscores and dots, you can know that, hey, in PHP, there's some quirk there. I love quirks. Technical quirks just get me hype. Um, And then the other awesome comment that came from that was a post by James Kettle, which somehow had flown under my radar. Um, I don't, I normally religiously read everything that James Kettle puts out, but um, this web cache entanglement, uh, a novel pathways to poisoning um, research that he published has a lot of the same sort of things of like, here's some weird edge case stuff where you can do with like, you know, parameter smuggling and, and a bunch of caching um, sort of gadgets or, or methodologies that you can use to chain stuff together. So definitely go give this one another read. Um, there's some really cool tricks in here that you can be aware of and use in different tags as well. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's like the sweet spot where um, we experienced this a little bit where 
once you've been hacking on something for like a really long period of time, um, you may like come out of it for like a week of straight hacking and not mm-hmm. have any findings. But what you yeah. do have is like a lot of learnings. And those mm-hmm. types of things are the types of stuff that is going into these blogs. It's, it's, it's learnings. It's like, here's like weird behavior that I noticed. Here's like strange functionality that exists that I'm not sure how to exploit, but I noticed and seems weird, right? And like just putting that out there is so, so useful. You see it in James Kettle's research as well. You know, he's so familiar with like web cache poisoning and cache deception, mm-hmm. and he's been doing it for so long that he just has this wealth of like weird things, you know, like it, we, like weird yeah. behavior that he just needs to write it down somewhere and just like be like, here, I, I don't know what to do with this, but somebody look at it. Dude, it's crazy when you meet him in person too. I remember meeting him in person in the last London event um, and just like seeing him sit there and just sort of, he, he was sitting at the table with me one time and kind of talking through like, oh, what if this and what if that? And I was like, man, you just know so much weird shit, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and so I, that was really cool. And um, yeah, and speaking of London, next live hacking event is on the calendar. Um, your boy Joel and I uh, are going to be hitting up London for a live hacking event with Hacker One. Hopefully, James Kettle will be there. It'd be awesome to see him again. Yeah. If not, I'm, actually, I'm going to pop open his Twitter right now and send him a message. Be like, "Yo, you should come to this, even if you're not, you know, if you're not hacking." <laughs> just show up. They're going to let come. you in. <laughs> like, just give me, give me a hug. Um, and yeah, so definitely excited for that. Okay, what's the last one we got on the news? Cool. Yeah. So this is just like uh, this was something that was tweeted out by um, Johan Carlson, um, mm-hmm. J O A A X Car on Twitter. Nice. And um, basically, this is a new feature within Chrome um, V one hundred and twelve. Yeah, Chrome. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a lot of versions. Um, but yeah, yeah in, the, in the latest, <laughs> I think the latest, the you know version one hundred and twelve of Chrome or newer, they added a new feature to the Dev Tools where. You may have noticed, uh, for example, if you inspect element on something or Let you click on a link in your dev tools to like a JavaScript file, it'll take you to this tab called sources. And sources mm-hmm. will have basically a file tree on the left side of all of the like files and scripts and CSS and HTML and everything that's been loaded by the page uh, within this like context, right? And so you can click through that file tree. You can, you know, view the source code of a JavaScript file that's loaded or whatever. You can set breakpoints. I think mm-hmm. it's really meant for developers to do like debugging type of stuff but it's there right and one of the new features that they added to make this easier for developing i guess but it also makes this simultaneously a lot nicer for hackers is you can ignore files from that tree so you can totally like exclude them um from like the list so you can even hide them if you want um but you can also make it so that they just like aren't they you know are are ignored and that they have a checkbox in here that lets you automatically nice. exclude all third-party scripts, right? So depending uh, on the type of hacking that you're doing, if you're really focused on, say, a webpack, like source map mm-hmm. or something, right? Mm-hmm. You can ignore, you can just right-click, ignore all the third-party scripts, clean it up. Now you know exactly what you need to look at. Makes your life a lot easier. Dude, that's so helpful. Like in DevTools, I have a, I have a love-hate relationship with DevTools because DevTools is really kind of crappy sometimes like it'll lag out and it'll like bug and you have to restart chrome and it's like ah please and there's some bug that's going on right now where like even if you check um deactivate breakpoints it still does the breakpoints which is drives me nuts 
Um, but yeah, no, it's great to see them adding features like this. And this is definitely something I'll use because the less friction you have, the less like, no, that's not it in your brain. Even if it's just like quickly skipping over it, that is, that is going to affect your, your flow. Cause your brain's going to be able to focus better on the script at hand. Um, so great yeah. feature there. Yeah. And it looks like it also will basically like if you mm. set a breakpoint and you're looking through the call frame, <laughs> like the whole call stack frame, it will mm -hmm. allow you to remove that them the ignored files from that from that stack as well. So it just, you know, cleans a lot of stuff up, makes your life easier. Um, you know, and it, it's really awesome. Uh really awesome Sweet. feature that's just built in now. Alrighty, man. Uh we are <laughs> we are twenty seven minutes in already with minutes with yeah. the uh yeah with just the news so we might have to keep this a little bit more concise than we thought but um we wanted to talk today with you all about uh source code review techniques um and what kind of stuff we're using to do source code review um how this is applicable in a bug bounty context uh the ins and outs of it you know lead hacker techniques for that sort of thing um so that's what we're going to be talking about today um let's see where do you want to start joel uh, let's just start with like the basics, right? So like source code, um, it's the, the easiest way that I found to view source code is one of two methods, visual studio code, which is mm -hmm. a glorified text editor and an IDE of some kind. Um, mm. the IDE is really useful if you need more, uh, like fine grain language level information. Um, so I, I'm not even going to say like go to definition, like the, the right click, like go to definition and all that yeah. type of stuff. Cause you can get a lot of that through like a visual studio code or Atom or sublime or whatever you want to use through plugins. Um, but that is a lot of what you'll get through an IDE. Generally, mm -hmm. most of the time I'm going to say I'm using visual studio code because it's just easier to navigate and search yeah. and it's fast and it's lightweight. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, that I sort of picked on, so I'm just for context, for those of you maybe that are listening for the first time, um, I'm a full-time bug bounty hunter and Joel is a Silicon Valley engineer security dude, right? And so Joel's thing is that he uh, actually does this for a living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do review source code basically every single day. <laughs> yeah, and so um, the last event that we did uh, you know, your boy scrappy, uh, full-time book bounty hunter over here was like, all right, let's, let me just open up all the source code in Vim and like rip grab through all this stuff. And Joel is like, no, 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 no. Good sir. Like, let me introduce you to something called VS code. And, and he had before, and I had, I had used VS code before, but I will say like watching you use VS code, um, in this last event really changed my, my opinions on like, using vs code versus using something like vim plus ripgrap or something like that for for going through various files um and and so yeah and i think one of the main things like like you said was like vs code has the capability to do the stuff like find definition and actually parse all of the the you know code that you're reading here and allow you to jump around using sort of logical um uh, flows in like it understands the code, which is really cool. And that was not something that I had installed. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sad to admit. So, and that I, I got that you, you got that for me by just opening up, um, the via, visual studios and then going to extensions. Right. Yep. Yeah. So a lot of the time you'll notice that like the extensions are what make VS code good. Um, nice. And so basically what you'll find is that you might be working on some specific type of protocol or a file or something, and it'll often recommend you like, hey, 
do you want i see you're working on a dot py file do you want to download the python extension mm -hmm. and you may ignore that but what the python extension is going to do and typically it'll explain this if you look at the extension in the marketplace within vs code it'll say mm -hmm. like this adds intellisense and it adds code completion and it adds like all these things that are really nice mm -hmm. intellisense is basically just you know like suggesting functions that exist properties that exist it's intelligently it, un it understands your code base so it knows like oh, you're, you're working with this object. This object has these available properties and it will suggest those in a dropdown. And that type so, of like information is super, super useful because basically that means your, your editor is working alongside you to make your life easier. So if you're looking at a function and you want to know where is that function defined, most of mm -hmm. the time you could just either right click and click go to definition or you can do a command or control click on the name of it and it'll take you right to where it's defined that just makes your life easier instead of having to copy the name of the function, control F for it, look through all the options, find the definition, click on it manually, like go back and forth. Instead, it's like, you know, one click. Yeah, um, yeah, so That's, the, that, that was yeah. huge. Yeah, the extensions are, are pretty huge. Um, I, I think without extensions, VS Code is kind of, you know, it's fine, it's very usable. I still would use it, but mm -hmm. I, I think the extensions really make it much more feature complete. Um, yeah. And it's, it's much more flexible. I think even just having, you know, the built-in propensity for command line or um, keyboard shortcuts as well is really helpful. Just control P, like, okay, I know that this file is going to be in this specific spot uh, or this specific name. So control P, type the name of the file, enter, boom. You know, I've got it up depending, no matter where it is in my directory structure. <clears throat> Excuse me. I didn't have to bounce around the, the folder, you know, expanding things, you know, d collapsing things. No, just control P, type of the name, boom, and it's open. Yeah. And, and it was also really helpful um, for me to see how, uh, you know, we could trace the flow of code um, through various functions um, and ha do that with, you know, dividing the screen into different parts. So, okay, we're over here in this function and then, you know, we call this line and that jumps to a different file. So I pop it open on it on a, you know, split the screen, pop it open, I hop right over there. And so, you know, having all of that in front of you at one time makes the, the friction of jumping in and out at like you have to do for these sort of things a lot less present and, and helps you trace the code a lot better, I think. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's like one of the amazing features about VS Code is that it's so modular in that sense yeah. where you can just split your window vertically or horizontally mm. or into three sections or you mm. can, you know, focus on one of those sections mm. instead of all of them at the same time. There's like so many options um, that that control or command P thing that you talked about um, mm. is super huge. There are like two main versions of that. There's command shift P, which they call it the command palette. Um, okay. And basically the command palette is everything like every like action, like every command, so to speak, that you can do Ooh. within VS Code. So you yeah, can. So this is why I wanted to do this episode as well, yeah. is because like while we were hacking on stuff, I didn't really want to like interrupt the flow and be like, Joel, teach me how to use VS Code. But that's <laughs> what we're doing here today is actually my sneaky motive for this episode. So, okay, I was nerd psyched the whole time. <laughs> control, control Shift P, and now I'm okay. I'm looking at all of the different actions I can do. Okay. Yeah, cool. yeah. Let, let me pull it up too. So yeah, Command Shift P. This is called your command palette. It, mm -hmm. You'll notice that there's like a, a right arrow at the beginning if you remove that then mm. that's equivalent to doing control p or command oh, okay. p which is basically sure. your file switcher so if, if you right. type an arrow in there then that's all the available commands and you'll see there's a huge list they're, they're usually categorized by like um there's like the built-in functions and then there, there'll be like an extension so it'll be like extension name colon 
action, sure. right? Um, and so there's a lot of different things that you can do. For example, you can reset your Zoom from here. You can format whatever file you have open from here. You can open a terminal. You can go to the matching bracket. Like, you know, there's mm -hmm. like a ton of like different options and things that you can do from here. And it's very, very generic, right? So this is like, I, I, I don't want to overspeak by saying it's everything that you can do in VS Code, but it's very, mm -hmm. very close to like basically all of the sort of actions and stuff that you can imagine that you can do within VS Code. And in addition to that, it shows you if you have a keyboard uh, like shortcut already assigned to that. Yeah, I love that feature of it because then, you know, and so you can press that control shift P and you can start typing. You can use your words to describe the action you want to do. And then boom, right on the other hand, the right hand side, you see, okay, that's the keyboard shortcut for that. Next time, I'm not even going to have to press command shift P. I can just yeah. hit that, that shortcut. Or yeah. this is one of my top um, used uh, keyboard shortcut or things for this command palette is preferences open keyboard shortcuts so i can reassign different shortcuts as well so control yep. shift p open keyboard shortcuts that allows you to redefine your your shortcuts um which is really helpful for you know gaining that traction in the application where you, you don't even have to think about using it yeah and you'll notice that like some of these for example open keyboard shortcuts it'll say control k control s vs code supports um a very like it, this is in vim and stuff it's called chords where basically mm -hmm. you have like multiple step type of uh, keyboard shortcuts. So like in Tmux, for example, you have like your control character, which is like control B or control mm -hmm. A for screen, yeah. right? So like if you do control A, then something else, like control A, D to detach in, in like a screen session, right? right? That's the same as like control K, control S. It's, it's two separate like in a row. So you do control K, it says, okay, I'm waiting for the next thing. Then you do control S and it goes, oh, okay, that's what you want. So you can have more complex... Uh, keyboard shortcuts that aren't you don't have to like combine control shift alt meta like everything all together yeah. you can just do like control k and then something else and that gates it and i, I love that too because a lot of times i, I want to be able to do stuff with one hand so i want it to be predominantly my left hand so i want to you want it to be you know control a something can you know a, even the little tilde up at the top left hand corner i use that all the time so i can just do things primarily with my left hands and even if my right hand is coming back from the mouse going over to the keyboard we're getting a little technical here but you know even if my right hand is is coming from the mouse to the keyboard i can still be using my left hand to control the flow of the application um, right. so i like that a lot okay man Cool, cool stuff there in VS Code. Um, here's the thing. I kind of put the sections in the wrong order <laughs> in the doc. So we, we just talked a bunch about oh, VS yeah. Code. And I, I do actually have one more question. So I'm not even sure. You know what? Tell you what. Screw the order. I'm going to ask the question. Okay. So here's, what, here's the thing. And this is a question for you, Joel, which you may uh, answer on the spot. Or this could be a question for the audience afterwards um, and see what, what you know, everyone comes up with. Um, I would like, so after this last live hacking event, I, I realized that um, even with VS Code's amazing features for jumping around and, you know, popping open different tabs and all that great stuff, I still get lost in very com complex functions. So I keep on having to go back to the source, you know, and then trace it all the way down and try to reach the sink. But I, I kind of get lost um, in that flow. What I would really like to be able to do is define something that's sort of like a breakpoint but it's like a logical flow indicator. 
So, you know, we start in this function where, where we, you know, have the source. And then we go down eight lines, and then I have a little dot next to the line and something like that, and that has one on it, right? And then that goes into the next function, right? And so I go to the next function, and I say, okay, you know, here's the important line. And then I press a button next to it, and that has two, you know? And then I want to be able to jump back and forth and say, like, okay, go back to one, go back to two, go back to three, so that I can just kind of trace in my mind the flow of the code. I don't mm. know if that something like that exists, but if it does, I need it. If it does, I'm not aware of it. I can think okay. of a couple of things that I've done for, like, similar behaviors. So, like, okay. very kind of related. Oftentimes, I use the forward and back function within VS Code yeah. very frequently. So, yeah. like, I rebind those to either, like, control, like, square bracket like mm -hmm. open and close square bracket for back and forwards or like the mouse like the buttons on my mouse the like forward and back buttons on the side of my mouse oh, interesting okay. um and i'll use that because that basically takes you back to the last place that your cursor was yeah like was so if i'm like clicking through stuff then i can just click back and i can hop back a step but that kind of jumping between like steps one and four for example like that is very difficult a good way that you can do that like in the meantime there i i don't let me see if I can find what it's called. But uh, there's a to do, um, yeah, to do oh, highlight. It's there? called to do. Yeah, highlight. yeah. So, so this is a, an extension, right? Like I talked about, extensions add a ton of like functionality to VS Code. This is called to do highlight. It's got three and a half million downloads, a hundred, uh, hundred ratings at four and a half stars. Um, and basically, what it does is exactly what it says it does. It highlights to do comments so if you do like a comment with to do colon whatever it will highlight it and it creates a separate section at the bottom like underneath your file explorer on the left side of vs code called like to do's tree and basically uh. you can see all the different to do's that are within your open project and then you can click to go between them so you could you could mark it the same way like you could do like to do yeah. step one or something like that and you could just mark it that way as like a temporary kind of hack i guess mm. um yeah, and, no, that, and that, might that makes work. a lot. That that actually seems like it, it's the closest thing I've seen to what I'm looking for there. Because yeah, yeah I would love to have like, like you mentioned a little tree that says okay, step one, step two, step three, step four. You know, and then because sometimes there's a lot, there's stuff you have to bypass along the way. You know, you I think you know the thing that I'm yeah. talking about yeah. where <laughs> we had that if statement that I was just like, oh no, we're screwed. And then you're like, no, we can just we can just bypass this whole block of code by doing X Y Z. And I'm like, oh, I love you, Joel. Um, yeah. And so you know some that 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 little block of code that we were talking about there was way way deep, probably six functions deep in the call yep. stack. Um, and we had to go all the way back up to one before we we got to the to the to the sink. Um, yeah. And so having some sort of you know a way to mind map all that out would be really cool. Um, definitely going to use the the uh, let me copy this into the notes for the for the show too. The uh, to do highlight for VS yeah. uh, Code until yeah. I see something better for that. Yeah, I, I really like that. I, I I mean, honestly, that should be like a pretty straightforward extension to create. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, right. I think that that might be something we could look into because that sounds quite useful. It does. Okay, so we we, we kind of jumped the gun. Yeah, we, we, we jumped the gun about, a little bit. About, about VS Code. Um, but th one of the things I wanted to talk about first was, so as, as a book bounty hunter, sorry, I've got this little, I don't know if you heard it, but I've got this little like popper. Uh, I can't even fidget. hold up the number of fidget toys I have sitting on my desk. In yeah, front of me. dude, it's really <laughs> nice to have little fidget toys around. So if you hear popping in the background, it's me playing with this thing. Um, 
but uh, so let's talk about getting the source code because as a bug bounty hunter, you're not an internal, you know, uh, you're not inside an organization. So a lot of times you don't have access to source code. So yeah. how do you get access to source code? Well, there's a couple ways that I wanted to break down. One, of course, we always have access to client side source code. So you always have access to the JavaScript. You always have access to the HTML, CSS. Um, I heard somewhere that there's client-side Python that happens sometimes. <laughs> Yuck for one, but for two, whatever, you're going to have access to that. So do that. Um, and, uh, one of the very few times I will say yuck to Python. But um, yeah, so you've always got access to that. But there's also a couple other ways that you can get access to source code. Um, the first one that I wanted to talk about was demos slash free trials. Um, and this is something I think we mentioned on a previous pod. Um, but there, there's a lot of really amazing hackers that will go through a very long process to get access to source code. Um, maybe I've heard of some people going as far as signing up for it with their, for like a demo with their company, with this company, going to the demo, you know, talking to the salesperson and being like, Hey, you know, I really just need to get my hands on the product. I think, can you send me a demo? (laughs) And they're like, sure. Oh man. And, and so, and, but at the end of the day, they get their hands on the code. And a lot of times it's a Docker container. Sometimes it's actual, like, you know, a zip file that has the code that you need to run in it. But um, doing anything like that that can get you access to source code can be absolutely huge because now you're not testing blind. You know what yeah. you're doing. And, um, and that's, that's a game changer. Yeah. Well, and oftentimes, like, yeah, he's... Uh... Oh man! Stop here's, that here's the <laughs> Joel's cat just jumped on his piano right behind us. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No, so I, I think for like me, this is like mm. a personal thing. I draw yeah. the ethical line kind of at the sales call, basically. Yeah. So like, if I have to get into a sales call and lie to a salesperson and be like, uh, "Oh yeah, I, I want to like test this for like my local business and like go through all of that," <laughs> then it's like. Uh, I, I that just makes me feel weird about like yeah. having to having to go through all that. But if it's like you know an anonymous type of sign up process where you just like sign up for a trial and uh, yeah, he's there. Oh, he goes again. Zara, what are you doing, man? He's stepping on our circuit boards. Bye. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, Joel. I I will say you know I, I have not gone through a sales call and set up something like that. Um, but people do, and a lot of bug bounty is about how far you're willing to go that other people yeah. won't go. So define your own boundaries yeah. there. I'm not going to tell you one way or the other what's right or wrong there. Yeah. Um, I won't tell you whether I, it's right or wrong to go to the dark web and download a pirated version of it. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, whatever I, you I need think, to do to get it, you know? Yeah. I, I think, you know, there's definitely some, some ethical boundaries there, but at the end of the day, um, you know, the hacker is going to have access to that. And, 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 um, you know, if you in, in your goodwill are pursuing security research and you're not going to try to use this in it for a negative way, then I think each individual person has to define their boundaries with that. Um, I've got mine set, Joel's got his set and, um, you know, we can, we can look at other people. There's been some drama recently about this. So I'll just sort of monologue about it for just a second. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of people in the industry that have done, things in pursuit of good intent, good faith security research that I would not do. <laughs> and um, and at the end of the day, I'm not going to say that that's wrong for them or that that's, you know, a problem. I just have my, my boundaries where I set my boundaries and I respect the people that have done differently. And I think that's kind of the way I would like to see the industry flow. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I feel very, very similar, you know, set your own boundaries, set your own mm-hmm. ethical guidelines, but you know, 
there's always uh, an equal and opposite reaction to every action, right? So yeah. just, you know, be aware that if you uh, cross the boundary too far, then that can always lead to some more negative consequences. Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, that might not be intended. But uh, yeah, I mean, outside of free trials, um, you can also just like pay for software, right? So you could just mm. like, yeah. you could buy the product if you really want to get your hands on it, if they don't do free trials or something. Yep. Um, all of these things like that we're talking about, these are clear barriers to entry. So generally speaking, you can be pretty well assured that like, if this is something that you're doing, majority of other hackers probably aren't um, or haven't yeah. because of that financial burden or the time mm -hmm. burden or the communication or whatever, their just own the ethical friction, boundaries, whatever, like know? the friction, right? Like that is going to change how likely somebody else is to go and try and get that. And so if you're willing to go the extra mile and uh, push through it and work to get that software the harder than they are, then that's going to give you that competitive edge, right? Yeah, for sure. And I, I, um, I've recently paid 170 bucks for Codebase and, uh, mega dividends my bro like yeah. you know you you see you see roi on that all the time um yeah. and 170 bucks like i'm not gonna lie like i preach on the podcast buy the product all the time right but like it was 170 bucks i was like that's yeah, still like huh, you know let me, let me let me think about this one for yeah, a second it's like, yeah, then i spent 170 dollars on dinner so i know like, right you know, like yeah and i just i heard my own voice in my head justin buy the product you know like <laughs> professor oak's so, voice exactly <laughs> yeah and, and so i bought it and boom um you know you get some bugs out of that so definitely especially i will say on the lower oh my gosh zoro is hyperactive this episode. yeah no he's 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 going he's going i through love it. how his tail just like goes it just through like, the mic like that that's great the... um yeah so uh definitely definitely worth worth doing and i will say you know when the source code is on the on the cheaper side like 170 bucks versus like ten thousand dollars um you know there's a pretty good chance that if it's getting sold at that price point there may have been some you know edges being cut uh you know in production so just yeah. another lesson that i've learned along the way that i'll pass along to you guys uh if it's if it's cheaper might be easier to hack who knows yeah for sure um another thing that we have done mm -hmm. in the past but it is also pretty common is using mm -hmm. like a local file disclosure or, or an lfi or an lfd mm -hmm. any of those for reading files an arbitrary file read anything like that to read source code um this is super useful for stuff like php and any type of like server side mm -hmm. app that is going to be you know not basically what you see is not what you get right so mm -hmm. like php does a lot of stuff in the background but you don't see any of the stuff in the php tags or mm -hmm. um a python web server is probably doing some like back-end rendering or something with that yeah. python before it sends out the response so those are types of things where it's really really useful to understand what's going on from a mm. white box scenario and being able to see the source code is like a huge <clears throat> a huge gateway into like understanding the application at a deeper level yeah, for sure. I I uh, I I'm glad you mentioned Python because I didn't have that on the list here. So we yeah, just wanted to true. list a couple a couple things here. Like if you're if you're dealing with a Java application, if you can pull the um, the jar file down, that's easy to uh, to decompile back down to um, actual readable normal Java um, using JADX. So that's a good one. Um, if you can pull Python python c files you can uncompile them using uncompile six um yep. if you can pull dot net um uh binaries you can decompile them using dot peak and get access yeah. to the full source code which i did not know uh until yep. a, two live hacking events uh <laughs> ago and that yeah. was a big game changer once people told me about that after yep. after the dupe window ended they were like yeah i was reading the source code i was like 
the source yeah. code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, how did you do that? How did yeah. you do that? Just do you say? Um, and so very big there. And then at the end of the day, worst comes to worst. If it's a binary and you can't do anything else, pop out the good old Ida or Ghidra and try your luck at pulling all the strings and and that sort of thing you can to piece yeah. together what the code is doing. Yeah, 100%. These are like probably the main kind of like core decom easily decompilable is what mm. I would call them. Like Python, <laughs> Java, .NET specifically. Yeah. Um, I think there are probably a couple others that I'm not thinking of at the moment. But like those are really like if you have an APK or a well, jar yeah. file, you can get that back to source code very, very easily, just the way that Java works. Python, same thing, the Python mm -hmm. bytecode. Generally, th these languages that have like an intermediary type of like bytecode language that mm -hmm. it has to use in order to be like cross-platform compatible, like yeah. JVM, the Python bike, PyC, right? Like those types of things. Those make it easier to decompile them back into the source code because it's pretty concrete in terms of what those instructions are doing. Um, .NET is kind of like a weird uh, edge case here. I'm not really sure why .NET is so easy to to like reverse engineer, but yeah, .peak yeah. is an insane piece of software. I've used that for a number of years. It's from JetBrains, uh, the people who make Idea and PyCharm and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's a it's a really really amazing tool. I used it last week for something completely non bug bounty related, but uh, but yeah, no, it, it works uh, every every time I've ever had a .NET uh, executable. .peak is the way to go. Nice. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. I I love that trick, and I love adding stuff like that to my to my repo for um, attacking all these various types of applications. I will I will add a little disclosure here. Do not pull source code via LFD uh, if that's not chill. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <And> some, <laughs> yeah. some people, like I said, other people will do this, but source code is something that developers are pretty possessive over. Uh, as you can imagine, because that's their whole thing. Um, and so, uh, you know, I've definitely seen some kickback on these more so than other pivots. Um, yes. So definitely get permission from the team first, submit yeah. the LFD, say, hey, I would like to pull source code to try to affect integrity rather than just uh, confidentiality. Is that chill? Um, yeah, yeah normally, that's a great call you'll out. get a yes. Yeah. That's a great call out because I think a lot of times you might be actually going against program scope if you if you if you go too far. And the, I think mm -hmm. the last thing you want to do is be writing up your report and and like as they're reading through it, they're like, oh, wait a sec. They like went way too far with this. This is not OK. And then it becomes yeah. an issue or something that you have to deal with. So it's it, you know, the program depends on the program. Most programs are pretty chill. If you say, hey, I have this really awesome bug, I'd like to pursue it further is it okay if I pull source code or are you okay with extrapolating the impact from this point? Right. Right. And, and yeah. basically leave it up to them. Cause you could probably impact like show like way higher severity if you want, but that's yeah. going to be their call, whether or not they're okay with that. Um, source yeah. code is intellectual property. So just have to be yeah. aware of that. Be, be careful with that. And, and like you said, it may just even be most effective for you as a bug bounty hunter to just take the bump, you know, and say like, Hey, uh, don't want to grab source code, you know, without your permission. Yeah. But if I do, I'll probably find a bunch of other bugs. And then, you know, they'll just say, okay, yeah, sure. I'll bump this to a crit, pay out the max bounty for an LFD. I, yeah. I've sort of ranted about this before on the pod. I think LFD should almost always be a crit. Um, a lot of people put it at highs because it technically only affects confidentiality. So, um, yeah. but if it just if it does just affect confidentiality, then I think it's only fair for them to give you the opportunity to pivot and pull source code and see what you can do. Um, and if not, they need to give you the bump to crit. 
Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. It's just one of those cases where, like, you know, you hope the program is understanding and stuff, and they're yeah. just like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so let's see the other the other one here that I wanted to call out, um, and we actually see this quite a bit um, between top hackers finding uh, Docker containers for the specific product. So um, let's say you don't have access to the source code for a specific product. You don't have a product key, right? Um, one of the best ways, excuse me, for you to get access to um, the source code would be to find their Docker container that they use for rapid deployment of the product, even if it doesn't have a, a key in it, right? Um, and then pull that Docker container down, uh, override the um, starting point. What is it? Is it starting point? Start I mean, you point? don't even have to. You can just extract files from a Docker container. With, yeah. yeah. You can also so do that. I, I, that's generally I, what I would do. I normally run the Docker container personally and then jump into it um, by overriding the initialization point or the start point, whatever it's called, and just running a bash interactive shell and then sort of grepping through the source code. But yeah, you know, this is before I learned about the magic of yeah. VS code. And so I guess you're going to want to extract the files out of that, that Docker container, copy them into a directory, open it up in VS code, and then do all the things we talked about before yeah. with VS code. But it, but it is a really good, like, trick basically that you just talked about there i don't know i don't know if you realize this but you mm -hmm. can make your own docker file basically a patch a docker file mm -hmm. patch on top of it so if you make a new docker file all you have to do is say at the top from and then mm -hmm. your image name and what it'll do is your image will then be based off of the other image and you can just set your own entry point so you just from target image entry point mm -hmm. bin bash that's it yeah. And then entry point. you can that's just what it was. <laughs> yeah. start point and initialization point entry point. That's what I meant. Entry point. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think also, um, I'm going to try to see if I can find it in my, in my bash history right here. Um, but I think you can also just run it and then, yeah, just run exec on it as well. Um, yeah, you and, can and just pop into, into bin bash and then copy stuff out if you want, or just use the Docker CP command to pull files out. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, at one point, I had um, a set of commands that I use that will basically, it creates a new instance of an image, mm -hmm. copies all the files down into a local folder, and then destroys it. Um, oh, that's a good, that's, yeah. you should put that in a gist or something, and we'll up, upload it after. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so the other thing, last one that I wanted to talk, well, all right, I kind of got two more. Last one, we said the last, yeah. Yeah, you know, the I said the other one. one's the last one. But all right, we know we got a couple more interesting things. Okay, so um, the the other thing is that, uh, I don't know why I so, sort of assumed this in the past, but in the past I've kind of assumed that if there is a library like on uh, in pip for Python or, or NPM for Node, that that um, library is going to be open source and on GitHub, but that isn't necessarily the case. So there are, there are some times where these, um, you know, packages are getting pushed to, to, um, pip and to NPM and that sort of thing. Um, and they are not, you, you can't go find them and read the source code on GitHub. So you, some, you need to pull those libraries down and you can read that source code. And sometimes you'll just find like embedded secrets and referenced external assets. And, and like, I, I've had people find API keys in there before that are worth, a lot, five yeah. five figures, um, and I think actually there was a scenario with Shopify. I want to say that was disclosed not too long ago, where uh, it was it was above that. I think it was a six figure bounty. Um, yeah. So definitely um, keep it in in your mind to uh, audit some of these public uh, source code um, packages and and libraries, um, and look for not only vulnerabilities there, um, but also for uh, secrets leaking and stuff like that. 
Yeah, hundred um, percent. That's like a built-in feature. So, like GitHub, for example, they offer this thing called package uh, GitHub package registry, mm. and you can register, you know, custom private packages just for your org in GitHub, right? And so, oftentimes, a JavaScript library will be built as a result of webpacking all of the used libraries into one place, and there'll be like a vendors.js main.js ah. type of thing. And so, that's a great way to like look at an attack scenario, either if they've left. Um, the source map files in so you can see the whole node modules folder and you can look through their private modules like yeah through the directory structure or if it's just like in there and you can like look for keywords like the company name or something like that that's like a really great way to get access to those private libraries that you're talking about where like it may have been included accidentally um we've seen similar type of stuff with mobile apps where protobuf files for example yeah protobuf files will get you know, used to generate .java files within the app, but then that folder of .protos gets built into the app as well, like by accident, mm-hmm. just included as a build artifact. And then, oh, hey, cool, now I have like full, you know, commented proto files, which yeah. we definitely have not seen on another target. Right we before. have definitely yeah. uh, seen that lately, I think. Um, yeah. No, yeah, that's mega helpful. And, and yeah, I haven't paid as much attention to vendors.js or whatever stuff before, so I'll definitely make sure I'm, I'm not skipping over that because there could be some cool stuff in there. It's good to yeah. know. The last, the last thing, so, okay, so actually this kind of bleeds into the report that I was going to talk about. Um, so I'll kind of, I'll kind of integrate yeah, this yeah let's tie well. it together and man we, we didn't even get to talk about like okay sources and syncs and like you know going through the application and and stuff like that so man we might we might have to make a part two to the source code review yeah. thing um but <clears throat> the report that i wanted to talk about today is uh is a report that uh popped up in a live hacking event three years ago and essentially what it was, was while we were hacking a specific application, we would get errors, you know, when we were fuzzing the API calls or playing around with the API calls. And those errors would um, return a string that ha- contained the company's name in it, but also contained like the microservice that we were talking to, the specific name of the microservice. Sorry, got my, my throat's bothering me a bit today. Um, and so... Uh, when we we would, what we would do is while we were hacking, we would take these strings and we would just boom throw it in a GitHub search, right? Well, um, a couple times in for that, uh, one of them popped up, and uh, that the repo that had that reference to that microservice um, was a training <laughs> repo for em- uh, employees of that company, and that training repo contained a ton of proprietary source code that was in live use um, in their microservices in production. Um, And it's so hard, you know, and it wasn't even necessarily on the front level too, but the guy had committed his node modules repo into his node modules folder into the GitHub repo. And so like, you know, one of those modules, you know, has a sub module that's also, you know, an internal module. And then you just kind of go down and down and down and uh in until you enumerate all of the source code and um we reported it directly to the company as like wow your production source code is kind of out there flopping around and they're like yeah meh and, and we're like already then so we we took uh some of the secrets out of there and started decrypting stuff uh you know stuff that they trusted 
trusted um, data and re-encrypting it and sending it back. We started uh, auditing the source code, found like a bunch of vulnerabilities because of it. Um, so that's another way to find uh, source code is look at the world's biggest source code, you know, provider, GitHub. GitHub. Uh, just yeah. throw it into GitHub search. And I think it's even better now when, uh, now that GitHub has increased their, the uh, effectiveness of their search. So definitely excited to see some cool finds there. Yeah, it's super cool. I um, One of the things that I, I had wanted to mention earlier in the episode, I wrote this down and mm. um, kind of, there was no not a great place to, to, mm. to drop Hit it. Me. But this is, this is like one of those, great examples of like working within like constraints and i think this is sort of like a gen a more general like topic that like really talks about the types of stuff that makes like hacking like finding really epic bugs like a lot easier where if you're making like those types of deep dives like it, it's like two twofold deep deep dives like going as deep as you can like exploring the source code exploring whatever like finding like deep references understanding at almost the level of an engineer like what is happening within this application what's happening across different services all that kind of stuff that's like one side of it the other side of it is figuring out the constraints setting goals and then finding ways to get to that goal within those constraints um, a lot of hacking is like operating within a constrained environment so you'll have different permissions or you'll have a, a firewall or you'll have a, a, a WAF or like whatever that you have to like work around and all these if statements and whatever, right? Like the stuff that you have to like figure out how to get around. And if you can figure out a creative way to move within those constraints to get to your end goal, that's where you're going to find like those really awesome bugs that are, that are like leveraging every little bit of, you know, movement and whatever that you have within this environment to try and like exploit, oh, this like weird config entry or, you know, this weird like, Oh, it's in the node modules, like within the vendor JS mm -hmm. or whatever, right? Like just yeah. finding like how to, you know, the program comes back and says, no, nah, we don't really care about that. Okay. Additional constraint. How do we get around that and like sure. make it so that they do care about it? Right. Right. So yeah, I think just like finding those constraints is, is huge. Yeah, it is. And, and that's a great way to framework eyes that whole, that whole process there. And then, you know, working around those constraints requires a very in-depth knowledge of the product because at the end of the day, those, it wasn't, you know, some it was, those constraints weren't put in there by accident. Someone's thinking this through, like, no, this user shouldn't be able to do this, right? And so, you know, it requires mastery of the product to to be able to work within those constraints in an artful and beautiful way. This is this is one of the things that really I think makes hacking an art as well, is because you you do have to. Um, as, as much technical documentation and technical knowledge as it is, there's a lot of creativity that goes around, uh, you know, working within these constraints and, and sort of turning the system back on its head. Um, yeah. So read the, read the bleeping manual. Yeah, and, read, uh, read, the, read the manual. <laughs> yeah, and uh, definitely you'll be able to find some, some cool stuff like that on the edge of functionality within the constraints. Yeah, super awesome. Um, all right, man, I got to bounce. Uh, anything else we got to do before we end up the pod? I think that's it, dude. Another great episode. Awesome. See you, man. All right. Catch you later. Hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of the Critical Thinking Bug Bounty Podcast. We hope you liked it. For more hacking and bug bounty content, you can find all of our other episodes wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find our show in a video format over on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash at Critical Thinking Podcast. Please, if you wouldn't mind, leave us a rating and share this episode with your friends and colleagues. It helps a ton, and it's the best way to support the podcast directly. Next week, we've got another exciting episode coming up, so you're not going to want to miss this one. See you there. <laughs>